Hello and welcome to the Culture Couch with Felling Friends, the podcast all about pop culture and any old nonsense that falls out of our mouths. And here we go. Welcome back. We have reached episode 10, Double Digits, and I'm joined by another new co-host this week. Um, I'm very excited to welcome him along. It's uh, hot on Instagram. Please go and follow him. He's got an amazing page. It's Horror Warrior 85 Mr. Paul Lavender. How the devil are we, sir? I'm very well. How the devil are you? I'm not too bad. I've had my COVID jab today, so my arm's a bit knackered. So, but other than that, I'm good. I'm good. Cool. So you'll be dead tomorrow, then? Yeah, well, I had the Pfizer one, which is meant to be the nicer of the two, isn't it? So, to fair, you should be all right. I had a dead arm, felt like I'd been smacked in the arm by uh, Mike Tyson the next day, but you know, I took a punch. It took a punch. You needed. It. I mean, I will say it was it was all streamlined and everything, very well handled. I'm not going to be one of these people that goes and posts my uh, ticket on Facebook or anything, <laughs> but I have had it. So, no, it's good. I actually uh, will say uh, for. You probably did you have it at the leisure centre like I did? I did not, mate. No, I, I went. I had to go to Leicester Royal Infirmary. Oh, nice trek for you. Yeah, in work time though, so I've got a bit of time off work, so I can't complain too much. <laughs> it's always a bonus. But yeah. I have to praise all the staff and all the people that are volunteering to get everyone through. I thought they were great and handled really well. Yeah, same at Leicester Royal, mate. They literally smashed it out. There was, I think they were saying they had some. I can't remember how many they had through a day, but it was a couple of thousands and. I mean, while I was there, there was at least 50 people and they just was like, boom, boom, boom. All nice, all pleasant to talk to. And like I say, got you through swiftly. And I got a free bottle of water, which was lovely. I didn't even get that. <laughs> I, just got, I, I was hoping for a, a, one of those stickers like when you used to go to the dentist. Nah, shit, nah, didn't yeah, even bother. Yeah, people did get stickers, but I didn't get a sticker either. <laughs> Brilliant. That's getting old now, man. Getting a job. Yeah. Like what I mentioned before about the free, uh, the free toys and cereal as well. Like we don't get them anymore either. Oh man, those days, those days are gone. I bet you, I don't know. I'm not sure what our age difference is, but I remember years ago um, there used to be the Bill and Ted cereal back in. Oh, I'd like to say about '91, and my mum and dad would buy it for me. And I think if you collect the tokens. You got an actual phone booth, and uh, no, nah, I never got one. <laughs> that's mad. I know I didn't know about that. Yeah, yeah, like... into, yeah, Ghostbusters cereal as well. I remember that, and yeah, yeah, all sorts. It's, it's the nineties has changed now. Uh, oh, it's just brown flakes for me. Healthy living. <laughs> Weetabix for me. I have Weetabix every morning. How boring and <laughs> it is. We've come that boring. <laughs> yeah. I look at, at least you got cornflakes now. I go there anyway. There's way too much sugar in that. Yeah, I mean, at least with brown flakes, you get a couple of raisins as well. <laughs> yeah. 
And we'll <laughs> let's break down the uh, podcast for this week. So as always, we're going through some news, what we've been watching. And uh, as we've got Paul on the podcast for the throwback 30 round this week, which is around that 30 minute mark, we'll be looking at hidden gems in the horror genre movies. And then at the end, we'll be doing a little game of love, hate, do not rate, as we always do. Does that all sound good, Paul? It certainly does to me, my friend. This week, I know there was definitely a film trailer that we were both buzzing for. Um, Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho trailer dropped, I believe. Was that last week, Darren? Was it delayed on this podcast, or was that still this week? Uh, I think the trailer landed last week, because I did let you down, and I couldn't do last week, because I had my job. Um but no, I think it was on a Tuesday evening, weren't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, last night. So I, uh, I've been buzzing because I follow Edgar Wright anyway, and I've, I've followed his stuff since all the, the original days of Space and when he did guest directorial spots and Big Train. And obviously the biggest film for me and my generation and probably for your generation for me is definitely Shaun of the Dead. So... Yeah. He's a Institute of British Cinema. He's the only person that is an absolute cinephile that gets movies, that understands yeah. movies and doesn't take the genre as spoofs. He makes them his own. And I'm very excited to see what he's going to do with a serious horror tone. That's totally separate from what he's, what he's done before in the past. But that's it. I do believe he's kind of he's hit the nail on the head with several genres now. He's done his horror comedy, obviously, like you mentioned with Shaun of the Dead. He's done his buddy cop film, action film with Hot Fuzz, which was a a brilliant comedy, b a brilliant buddy cop comedy, and also c a damn right good action film. Mm. I just don't think the guy's done a bad film. I love Scott Pilgrim. I think it's the most comic booky comic book film, if that makes sense. Like it's you know with all the pow, the wow, and you know, and it's it's a um, just gets that genre and you know he put a lot of work into that I love Baby Driver that was my favourite film of that year was it 2018 now god it seems like ages ago that probably came out 2008 it's something around that time but I can remember going to see it in advanced screening and absolutely fell in love with it the soundtrack just accompanies the film beautifully and he did that so well I thought like again the action scenes for a director that you weren't really known for action you know space obviously didn't have a lot of action in it or anything but he just hits nails hits genre nails on the head and i just don't think he's done anything bad i mean i know a couple of people look bad on the world's end but i think it's got a deeper meaning behind it and the sci-fi stuff you know is a little bit different for him but i still think the world's ends it's a good film i, I couldn't I, say he's been a bad film i totally agree um I, i'm still a fan of the Cornetta trilogy and like you said in I think it helps that Edgar Wright, like you can look at directors that love films, like you look at Tarantino, you've got Edgar, you got your Edgar Wright, you've got your Gareth Evans who did Raid films. Those yeah. guys were bought upon cinema. They, those guys yeah. love all genres. They, they don't go for the separate, like, I'm going to just do horror or I'm just going to do comedy. Or They love cinema. They know what they actually fundamentally know how a film works and again like with baby driver that film is like it is more to me i see that as kind of a bit of a musical kind of film it's a sort yeah. of film that can contrast onto a theater stage and because it's wrote 
fluently and he has a backdrop of music and it works along the music because you're following this dude whose playlist is his guidance. So, and the action is just slick. He's got the camera in the right place all of the beginning, where there's like a car chase and it swaps between the cars. And you, Edgar Wright knows what he's doing. And, and, and you pointed on Scott Pilgrim. I think that was like his first venture into American cinema. It was a big production for Universal. And um, mm. he was being comic book kind of before comic books were cinema was established. Obviously, you had a lot before pre-2009 or 10 when that film came out. But he was, he was hitting the visuals in your face. And I don't think the audience was ready for that kind of stylized cinema at that time. But Edgar Wright, in his head, was like, no, this is how you've got to do this. And... Let's I say, I mean, it was, it was a comic book. Yeah, I mean, the Scott Pilgrim is just a comic book come to life. Like you say, he's just he's a great director. Obviously, like I say, a big cinephile, knows what he's doing. And that's why I'm so looking forward to this. Just the trailer alone, if anyone that's listening hasn't watched it, go and watch the trailer for Last Night in Soho. Obviously, you've got the two great actresses in it that are coming off of hot things. You've got uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, who obviously was Queen's Gambit, was a big hit for Netflix, obviously was in a lot of other films as well, The Witch. Uh, and then the other girl in it, I can't remember her name, unfortunately, but it's just come off of Jojo Rabbit, which was obviously highly received, and she plays the... Jew that's hiding in Jojo's house. Um, fantastic in that film. So very exciting to see how them two mirror each other in the... Because the, it looks like they play the same character. Obviously, she goes back in time. You know, it's we don't know the full plot of it or anything, but it and it gives you enough in the trailer, I think, to tease what's coming without giving it away. Because that's the problem with trailers these days. give too much. But this was just a lovely... It got me invested. And obviously, the other person, Matt Smith... Obviously, famous for Doctor Who. We haven't seen him do a lot since. He's been in a few bits Being and that. Using the crown is great. In the crown is Prince Philip. I haven't watched the crown, but I have heard that he's brilliant in that. He's great fair. in that. The crown was good. I really enjoyed the crown. Yeah, we'll have to get around to it. So I'm really excited him to probably step up a bit as well and get back in like a bit because hopefully it's a big film because you know Scott Pilgrim, unfortunately for Edgar, didn't do that well. I think that was you know. The big one, but I think Baby Driver did reasonably reasonably well. So uh, Baby Driver, well, I, I think, did over hundred million at the domestic box office in America. So I think it was like way overestimated what it was meant to make. And yeah, fair play. You got in right. Look at Baby Driver. The casting that was phenomenal. Yeah, um, big. I think that's what sold it for American audiences as well, weren't it? Yeah, you've got John Hammond and you've got Kevin Spacey and regardless of his allegations, he's still, he's, at that time, he's still a person you want in a, in a film at the end of the day. Um, Jamie Foxx. Uh, it's just such a powerhouse of a film Massive. in terms of an ensemble cast. And he's, I think what... Watching that last night, sorry, Charlie, I must have watched that probably about three or four times and I'm trying to decide for what he's doing and yeah. it's very garlic, Galio, very Italian cinema, bright colours. Is it going to be a horror? I just, I love that because that trailer does not give you a kind of any answer and it's no. beautiful how it's done. It's old 60s London, which I'm going to love and I'm a big fan of that kind of era. And looking at the posters when she's walking to the cinema, I'm just like, yeah, this is it. Um, 
this is the Edgar Wright film I think a lot of people will be waiting for. And I think it'll have its audience. Because I'm going to tell a joy, she's just great. I don't think I've ever yeah. seen her in a bad film apart from New Mutants. Yeah, well, I haven't actually got around to watching New Mutants, so <laughs> I've heard bad things. But I've heard she was probably the best thing about it, though. So yeah, she was good. I bet the the actual. I think that was one of the last films I saw at uh, Cineworld before it shut down again, and I was just like, Man, this, "This is bad." But yeah. she was good. But she always puts in a good performance. And if you've watched Queen's Gambit yourself, you know, like I'm not. I've never played chess in my life, but it is such an investment, and and you. And that's what I find about film and the medium and TV. You, if if an actor can carry a series, you're invested because you want to see more what their range is. And she brings it all the time. Doesn't even necessarily matter about the subject matter, does it? Not really. It, it, subject matters don't matter to me as long as there's an actor in it that I can I, I know and I love and I know they're going to bring their best. And I will sit there and I will win. We'll watch it. Yeah. So let's move on to some more news because we got some big news. This was definitely this week. Was that Amazon have paid eight billion plus dollars <laughs> to buy MGM Studios, which obviously includes the likes of Rocky, Tomb Raider, RoboCop, and the big one obviously being Bond, which will technically still be shared ownership. I think there's like a there's a family that co-owns Bond. Who has a say on who plays Bond? and uh, massive things about Bond. So it's not like they fully own Bond, but obviously he's the big one out of the bunch. I mean, eight billion plus is mad. Mm. What's your opinion on this? Well, MGM has always been, they've always been in struggles anyway, if you go back to the like, only, uh, probably in the last 10 years, they were struggling anyway to finance many films. Um, I think they struggled with, uh, I can't remember which Bond film it was. It was one with Daniel Craig in and and MGM always they've always struggled. They've struggled for a long time. So Amazon buying them out for me is not a, an issue because Amazon Studios will still release films at the cinema and it will still get a cinema release. So you're just going to get big money behind Amazon. Amazon have become a powerhouse in streaming services. Um. So chucking eight billion, getting MGM and their back catalogue, and I, I think it's a, a good move. Um, yeah, I, do, I honestly do. I think it's. I, I honestly think it's a good move because they've got a rival, haven't they? They've got a rival, Netflix and Disney and stuff at the minute, especially because Netflix have just gone and paid a big amount for like Sony properties. So. There's obviously they've got to get out there, and obviously, the, like you say, they'll still go to the cinema. There's no way Bond would go straight to Amazon. I can't see Definitely it happening. Um, and they'll want the money from it going to cinema. It'll probably just then go to Amazon first. And I didn't realise that MGM do make a lot of TV, like the Handman, Handmaid's Handmaid's Handmaiden's Tale, um, and a couple of properties like that. I think uh, was it Sons of Anarchy I saw, or something along them lines. I think Vikings was one which Amazon is already showing. So, you know, I think maybe in the TV thing, because you look at, like I say, some of the franchises chose, maybe Rocky not as much because it's now gone into Creed, but 
Tomb Raider, Robocop. They're not going to bring in that eight billion back for them, but Bond's the big one, and maybe the TV. Yeah, it sounds a big amount of number, but over the years, they'll gain the money back because Bond is a big franchise, and you can keep re-releasing those films on Blu-ray, 4K, whatever, and... As I see it now, cinema, even within within COVID, you've got HBO Max partnering with Warner Brothers and they're releasing Mm. it kind of like, we're going to show the film at cinemas for a month, then we're going to show them streaming services. So I can see, I I feel like studios are going to go into a massive monopoly where it used to be, you had so many different studios and now it's just going to go eke into like, major players you're gonna like you said you got your disney's and disney pretty much own everything now they've got fox now they've got the subsidiaries of touchstone pictures from the 90s they've got you got the thing they've got dreamworks so they've already got disney are the major players in hollywood and and it's fair i don't care because i'm i'm happy with the people they employ to go and make go off and make these things because Disney are not going to screw over the audience because, okay, Disney, what? Disney's this terminology where it's, oh, it's a big mouse. It's all fun and family. It's not Disney. You have to remember Disney still funded Pulp Fiction back in the nineties as a subsidiary. And, and if we can still get to go to cinema and have entertainment, I'm happy for that. If I can sit home and watch a film on my TV, I'm happy. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I like Amazon. I'll probably use Amazon more than I do Netflix. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with that, especially with everything we're going on COVID. It's good to see that we're still getting investment heavily into it. Um, I unfortunately I do watch Netflix more than Amazon. I do. I've got someone else's Amazon password, but I do watch some things on there. The Boys is one of my favourite TV shows in the last mm-hmm. couple of years. So obviously, I'm happy to see that on there. I just don't think there's as much, you know, necessarily as. The original content's probably not as strong. Maybe that's me. I need to delve into it a bit further. But um, the last bit of news we did have that we briefly spoke about on Instagram was that we are getting Hocus Pocus 2, talking of Disney Plus, which it's going straight to. Uh, All main three returning actresses. I don't know about any of the other cast. I don't think they've confirmed that yet. But we've got Bette Midler returning, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy, and I cannot pronounce her last name. It's Najimi. Is that correct? Uh, I, I think, think you're right. And I'm, and I'm Jimmy. Yes, I think, yeah. you're, I think you're right. Yeah, so they're obviously returning as the three main witches as the Sanderson sisters. So are you buzzing for this? I am. Very much so. I won't deny yeah. either. I'm a massive Ocus Pocus fan. <laughs> and I'm a big fan of Omri Katz, who was in the original, because um, obviously he's in Erie, Indiana, so another TV series I grew up on. Um, so... For me, yeah, I'm buzzing. I'm hoping they can try and entice Omri Katz back, which I doubt it because he's been out of the limelight for almost 20, 25 years now. Um, I yeah. do. I think I'm still going on Facebook. I think he goes on and do his own thing. He's just, he's just. I think he's just lives a normal life as a normal dude. And whether they can entice him back, that'd be great. Um, um yeah, I'm. I'm looking for. I'm hoping it does it justice because the first one, even at that period when it was released in '93, I, I was I was eight or eight or nine at the time, and by the time I by the time that came out, I've already seen quite a lot of few horror films like Your Lost Boys and 
they're quite nice horror films, your predators. And nice, yeah, but yeah. watching Ocus Pocus has this kind of real nice, it has like this real cool aesthetic. It's really nice. It's it's a comforting movie. It's a family family friendly horror, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. it's an easy film. Stick on it at Halloween. You know, and just sit down with the family, just put it on in the background, enjoy it. It's got a little bit of something for everyone, a little bit of comedy, like you say, a little bit of horror, a little playfulness. Your typical 90s Disney film, really, like live action. And, you know, it's maybe it's that kind of thing that we're missing nowadays that it would be nice to bring back. So maybe that's why the sequel will be good. Um, it'd be definitely interesting to see how Bette Midler does because she must be getting on quite a bit now. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've got no like. I think it's because it's such quite an innocent movie. There's no arm in making a sequel to it. I don't because no. there's nothing really special about it. I think it it it's a, it's probably one of those pure nostalgic movies that actually worked for the time of the age, and it still works now for like our another generation growing up because it works. So having a sequel come out to a, a film like don't think there's any kind of arm to it i don't think you're going to ruin the original uh, i think if mm-hmm. anything because you disney will always employ the best people they'll get the you'll get the right people to come in and do the do what they need to do to make this a sequel that appeals to the people that grew up on it but also appeal to a new audience so i kind of have no kind of like doubt about it i think it'll still be a good film to watch you and I'll be happy with it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's, I think you've hit the nail on the head as well with the fact that it was our generation that kind of grew up with it, and now we can pass that on to our kids as well. So you're like, oh, let's watch the first one before the second one comes out, you know, and enjoy that as a family film. They're definitely, you know, Halloween. It's like one of them, I always say the same about Nightmare Before Christmas, although I hardly think that film's overrated. But, <laughs> um, go there, but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, so it would be definitely nice for family generations to pass it down the first one and then we enjoy the second together. I mean, I will say that I know you big it up Disney a lot, but some of their live action, I know it's not a remake, but some of their live action remakes or reimaginings, should we say, are a bit questionable. So there is some doubt there for me, but like you say, because it's such a nonchalant, would that be the right kind of way? So, you know, just yeah, a, it's, it's a fun little film. It doesn't necessarily matter if it, Fails because you still. I, I, I think we're focused focus because it's already live action. It was all shot on set. Um, I think I think we're going to be in safe hands with that. I think with the live action. That's that's kind of I see that as like a different side of the Disney studio. They, they've got like a different. That's that's right. We'll focus on reimagining films, but this is yeah. the other side where we can do this. We've got Star Wars on this end. We've got Indiana Jones Five, which is great news this week. Starts filming next week. And so I think they've got all different layouts of where they're going to go. Like the live action for me, I fucking love the Jungle Book. Absolutely. That's, love that's Aladdin, my favorite. Which I didn't think I would enjoy, but I really enjoyed Aladdin. But the rest, yeah. I didn't really. I was like, yeah, they're okay. I just watched them and enjoyed them. But the ones that blew me away were like watching Jungle Book and what John Favreau did with that. And I enjoyed Aladdin. I was like, Guy Ritchie, I was like, okay, this is going to be interesting. I thought he did a great job with that. Um, and that had balls, like, having Guy Ritchie come out and do Aladdin. I was like, yeah, what? Yeah. Really? Okay, but it worked. And I thought, it... and I love Aladdin, the original cartoon. I love the game for the Mega Drive. I actually really yeah, exactly. 
So, Brewing, that's news covered. So we'll move on to what we've been watching. And uh, <laughs> one one film that we have both gone, luckily gone back to the cinema. I say luckily gone back to the cinema. We've, you know, cinemas are wide open again now and it's brilliant to get back in there. Maybe not brilliant because I know we both didn't necessarily enjoy the film. <laughs> was uh, Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It. Do you, do you want me to go first? Because I think you've got a bigger rant to go on about it, maybe. Uh, you go first. Yeah, so this is what I will say, right? I went to see it with my sister, who I would say is very much more persuaded by horror films and enjoys them more, no matter how bad they are, should I say. But she came out of it saying it was bad. So I thought, well, if she said it's bad, it's got to be. But to me, I think, don't get me wrong, Vera Farmiga and I'm going to forget his name now. Patrick Wilson, who play, obviously, the Warrens, are fantastic. They're the core of this film, again. They're the best damn thing about it. It's the positive you take out about it. But there is jump scares, and then there is jump scares that you get so bored of that they numb. And the one thing I've always said about The First Country is I don't think it overly relies on the jump scares, but this film did seem like it did. And also just the... And I know all of them are said based on a true story, and they're allowed to play with them events a little bit but seriously come on this this story is so out there and so ridiculous that if any of it was true and like you see them cameras on it a lot in this film that if any of this was true it would have been caught on camera and been proven and also i would the last thing i really want to mention that grinded my gears a little bit was the guy who played Arn, arnie i believe it was the the kid, not the first kid that's possessed, the one that goes on to possess yeah. and kill someone. I just didn't find him invoke, like, you know, I couldn't attach to him. I don't think his acting was that good. And just compared to the other two films, which obviously have a family at the centre, which you can get behind. And I know it was more along trying to get on the Warrens as the centre to this, but I just, you know, it kind of wanted you to instantly go, well, this guy's killed someone and we're telling you it's the devil that made him do it. So you cannot think anything else. You know, this. I think it would have been a lot better if they played it that was he possessed or was it like, you know, is he used it as an excuse? It would have been quite a different and cool way to go about it. But, but you know, how would you, how would you sum the film up then? I think I'll definitely agree with the uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren. I think Vera and Patrick are absolutely key to the franchise. Yeah. But then I'm going to. I've never actually. I, I actually did like after I've come back watch Conjuring Three. We spoke about it. I, I, it must have been about Sunday. I was talking to my dad about the Conjuring films because he loves that. He loves that universe and yeah and stuff. He he loves his horror. He likes his mainstream. Um, and it made me think a little bit more. So I actually, I really, I actually enjoyed the first more than I yeah. thought I did. I look back and went actually James Wan. I actually loved his aesthetic for the first. I think he tried to hark back to that 70s kind of style cinema because it was set in the 70s and it builds up to it's a good horror film actually I actually it's a good film i didn't really rate the second one for it's all right until the cgi comes and ruins it mm. so yeah, the third one i'm already going in with berated breath like because i hate i didn't like the nun i could have walked out of that don't like the hannibal hannibal films and i think that's part of the universe i think that's all of them yeah. The Conjuring oh, is that, um, is that Curse, sorry. Curse of Lorena, is it? Curse oh, of Lorena? Yeah, I've not even seen one. It's, it's just 
so reliant on mm. the typical tropes of modern horror commercial cinema, which I don't blame mm. because people want to go and get jump scared, want to walk out and go, oh yeah, jump to that, because that's what audiences want. Not for me. I want to be able to watch a good story, and if there's a good jump scare, I'll hats off, it's worked. It's, but Devil made me do it. More like Devil made me want to fall asleep and just walk out. <laughs> I, one, I, this, I don't want to put any spoilers in there, but what was the motive at the end for the the the, the antagonist? There's I can't remember any kind of motive why it was happening. So I was like, okay. And why is every scene so stupidly lit? Like, you would have a scene where Patrick Wilson's looking at some kind of old book that he's just miraculously found, and he's got a candle right next to it, but got a massive lamp in the room going on. <laughs> What, what what is the lighting like? There's a bit in the morgue as well, and you're like, oh, it's dimly lit again. Oh, it goes off. Oh, here we go. So, and I felt like that film could have been a lot better if you had James Wan directing it and original writers of the original two come back. Just to tighten yeah. it because I agree with what you said about Arnie, the guy. Like he looked like he phoned it in. Yeah. And it got to the end and you got to the court case. And I'm not being funny. How many it must have been about four or five people watching him float up in the air getting possessed. And you're like, yeah. come on, there must be some kind of more to this testimonial here. Um it's just it felt like it went on for five hours, not two hours. I walked out there and I was and I was actually sat next to somebody I knew and he asked me because he he follows me and he's like, what do you think to us? I, like, I can't say it's shit because I don't find any film shit. Um, mm-hmm. Anyone that's invested in making a film or directed a film or wrote a film or being part of behind the scenes, there's work gone behind it. it I just thought it's just a poorly, just a poor movie and didn't really add anything to the franchise. It didn't add anything to the horror genre it's just one of those non-plus films where audience would just go and buy their popcorn sit down have a bit of a thrill like a roller coaster come out at the end go home go sleep go wake up next day do you watch conjuring yeah it's all right it's one of those films there's no indelible impact in that kind of genre anymore yeah i mean i massively agree there and it is a shame like i said with the first one Harking back to the 70s in whenever it was released recently, it, it felt like a fresh a breath of fresh air because it was going back to an old school kind of horror that we mm. hadn't seen for a while. It reminded me, not, I wouldn't compare The Conjuring with The Exorcist because The Exorcist is always going to be one of my all-time favourite films. I've studied it, I've done a thesis on it, I've, done, I've, got, I've, I've spent my life loving The Exorcist and working it out and there's so much to that film in the book. But if I had to say The Conjuring had to come close to that kind of big blockbuster horror movie of that era, I would put it next to something like The Exorcist because The Exorcist was the first of the kind in 73. It's done by Warner Brothers as well and it's big, it's grandiose. It's like, oh my God, it's a blockbuster horror film. And same with The Omen, which come out like three, four years later. And I think The Conjuring if that was made back then, would fit in so nicely. And I thought it, it, so when watching it, when watching Conjuring in this period, it felt like one of those films you could actually pick out from that period 
being a big studio film and doing it right. Yeah. There's not many horror films that can do that nowadays unless it relies on your typical gore tropes or it's got a, a word of mouth. And I remember going to watch The Witch and there's not many people I know. There's a lot of people I do know on Instagram and Facebook. We talk about it a lot. It's like The Witch and The Lighthouse. And I remember taking my ex and... I built The Witch up so much. I went to see it and I loved it. I still love The Witch. I still think it's a great movie now. I think it has the perfect kind of nuance I need from horror. But I remember my ex walking out of that and she was like, well, that was shit. But then <laughs> when it came out on Blu-ray, I bought it and we sat and watched it again. I still loved it the same. I was picking up more pieces. I was like, how it was filmed, how it was naturally lit, how the director did it so good on such a budget it's so it's the craftsmanship that went into making something so visceral and then she appreciated it more when you talk about it because these guys don't have a budget these guys go out and make a film and make it questionable and ambiguous yeah and that's where horror goes for me nowadays and i think i want questions i want to have be i want I want a film that gives me anxiety i want films to make me have that bit of fear and not know yeah. what's going on and it's hard. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm asking psychological horrors are a much better genre than horror horror. It is. I mean, I will say, right, and this is going to really upset you, and <laughs> I won't mention it too much, is it? I fell asleep watching The Witch. That's why... We'll that's why... That's why I laughed off I do need to watch The Lighthouse. I haven't seen it, mainly because I want to see Robert Patterson's uh, performance in it. Oh, ready for the Batman film. Um, sorry, carry on. He's just great. Uh, I, think the light, I think Robert Eggers, is, he knows what he's doing. And again, you've got directors right, like Robert Eggers that will study the period and that time and the language. And they... They're making films, which I want to see now. Yeah, it's not. I'd, I'd rather not go to World and pay ten, fifteen pound to go and go to an, an art house cinema or Phoenix Arts in Leicester and go and sit there. I want to go and watch a film that's going to appeal to me and and walk away going, "Fucking hell, that was visually visually brilliant and it's such a visceral impact." And, I got it with a registry as well. I love his films. Ari Aster, I think he's a, a great director. I think he's got the right aesthetic. He, I think he works on the basis of anxiety and depression. I think he can weave in there really well and make a good horror out of it. It depends how the viewer sees that kind of film. Now. I think that's what we need. We need to be challenging the genre at the moment. Not like going to watch The Conjuring and you're going to get your cheap jump scares, you're going to get your crappy CGI and your, your horror. Yeah, another, yeah, I mean, I didn't mention that in one of my moans about it then, but I did find the CGI in this one the worst of the three as well. Like, there was some really questionable bits. I know you mentioned the morgue. That that whole scene for me was like, I don't mind the bit where she was talking to the other woman, but that whole dead body that gets up and stuff, and I'm like, well, this is a film that's meant to be based on realism. You've got this, like overly big body and then this overly big body randomly appears later at their house as well I know it's more of a spirit but just 
just a bit nonsense like you know i think you've hit the nail on the head with it i mean if you want to go and see it go and see it and by all means judge it for yourself but is there anything else you quickly want to chuck in there as uh, what you've watched that you've enjoyed or not enjoyed? Because uh, we've not really... Well, something you may have enjoyed because we've slated the other thing. <laughs> um, I've not... At cinema, is that nothing? I've, everything I've watched at cinema late has been just... Oh, I, I just give up. Um, I've not really had a chance of being working, so... Um, yeah. And if you've got TV or anything you've seen... I've been re-watching The Shield again on Amazon Prime because I remember that's one of my favourite all-time series, so I've started re-watching that again. Mm. Uh, I haven't apart from Shield. That, I didn't watch it. Sorry? Uh, I haven't watched it, to be fair. I've heard great things. It's great. I think Michael Chiklis, first series yeah. that started in 2002 and ended in 2008. And it's still, it's still now, I was still talking about it last year. Someone, if someone said to me my favourite shows would be Twin Peaks... The Shield, Justified, The Wire, um, Band of Brothers, and stuff like that. Uh, I think, that, that, and rewatching The Shield again after twelve years, it's I'm absolutely. I think anyone, if anyone likes corrupt cops, LA crime, dirty drama, The Shield is the one for you. And it doesn't even sure. feel dated either. No, that's what sometimes you find, don't you? So it's it's nice that it holds that freshness. So I'll have to get it. We are looking for a new TV show to watch. Uh, we just finished the. It was my girlfriend who suggested watching it more than me. Well, it was all right. It was the flight attendant starring Katie Kuko, is it, from The Big Bang? Yeah. Um, a show I can't stand, The Big Bang, by the way, but she's quite good in that. I'd recommend you on Amazon Prime Justified. I've watched I've watched the first series of Justified because um, I love Timothy Olyphant. Uh, Fantastic actor, completely underutilised. Definitely, um, I 100% agree with you on that. Yeah, I mean, he's in one episode of The Mandalorian too, and I really enjoyed that as well. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I love Timothy Oliphant uh, from years back. I, I mean, I've got, I'm struggling to find things off in my head now that he's been in, but yeah, just phenomenal. Deadwood. Yeah, Deadwood, yeah. Um, I can't remember the film that I loved when I was a kid that he was in, I can't remember. Go. No. It was a bit... It was like... He's not been in any comic book films, has he? Oh, he was in The Gun, which was like an old Doug Lyman film from 19... I can remember that, because I, I can tell you why I remember that. He's in Gun in 60 of, Seconds. Yeah. Um, no, I can remember Go, because it was in Woolworths. <laughs> yeah, Go's a great film as well. Yeah, I can always remember the DVD cover, because I can remember my dad buying it. Um and we were just because we saw the DVD, you know, one of them old Woolworths the memories from Woolworths that we don't get the pick and mix or anything these That's days. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, you saw obviously in the Crazies, which I thought was was an all right remake. To be Actually, fair, I, I, if if I had to say remakes, as remakes go modern, I'd say that's a decent one. I've probably watched that more times mm. than the George Romero version. Yeah, yeah, I've I have I've only watched the um, George Romero version once, where I've watched that a good t- couple of times. So, I'm just trying to have a quick look now to try and find... The, I just, that was the first thing that came up. I was like, oh, yeah, of course he was in that. I just oh, think he's just me. a cool dude as well. I think he's got that cool swagger yeah. about him. As he, it's just, he like, that's why I love Justified. I've literally just bought my dad the first series because my dad asked me, he goes, what's Justified? Like? I said, Dad. I said, if I, that's going to be my top 10 series of all time. I said, I'll buy it. So, I bought him all the series. He said, you're going to love it. Because Walton Goggins is in it. I love Walton Goggins. 
Those have seen Scream 2 as well. He's, I mean, he's, yeah. he was obviously Hitman in the first Hitman film. Um, but yeah, just a great guy, which, like I say, underutilized, doesn't get used as much. So it was good to see him in The Mandalorian, you know, a bit more of a popular a popular show. And so did you know in Mandalorian, he, he could obviously, the guy in The Mandalorian, whatever the alien is or the creature is beyond the bar, servant, is the same dude beyond the bar in Deadwood. Ah, so that's a dead yeah. reference there in Mandalorian. Oh, I'm wondering if my mate who's a big um, Deadwood fan knew that. I a film as well. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he's been in a lot of films and TV. But yeah, he played the person beyond the bar. Uh-huh. Nice little bit. Anyway, we've just gone obviously on about a couple of horrors. So let's go to our throwback thirty round, which. Uh, to celebrate you being on this week, we're going through hidden gems in the horror genre. Um, I'm going to quickly go with one because I did mention it as one of my top picks for the 2000s, my favourite horror film from the 2000s, which is Dog Soldiers. Um, Neil Marshall film, who's more well-known, I would probably say, for The Descent. Um, Dog Soldiers, I don't think a lot of people have necessarily seen it. It's a British film, obviously, very... Again, like you said, kind of small budget, set in the Scot- Scottish Highlands. Just a brilliant werewolf film that, you know, didn't didn't get enough love. I mean, I can remember, I think I bought it at like Asda or Morrison's or something. My dad bought it and we sat down. I mean, I was brave at the time, I think, and it was just absolutely fell in love with it. You know, it's not overly, it's obviously all non-CGI, the werewolves are costumes. They don't show them in full a lot because obviously the costumes are a limited budget, but it helps for the film. All the actors, you know, Kevin McKidd, Sean Pertwee, hit the nail on the head. Spoon, the character, I can't remember the actor's name, unfortunately, was brilliant. Um, the, and funny enough, I heard the other day that, um, going back to Edgar Wright as such, was Simon Pegg was meant to be the main lead instead of Kevin McKidd, was, yeah. which, which completely would have changed the film. Um, but I'd also kind of want to see that. But just if anyone's not seen Dog Soldiers, believe me, go and watch it just for a little werewolf film, you know, because around that time we were getting vampire films like they were going out of fashion. But um, Dog Soldiers is a werewolf, standalone film, British film, brilliantly cast, you know, small budget, you know, a bit out and about at the start, but then it's mainly focused in a house where the werewolves come in and attack the soldiers and just um, brilliant. There was always rumours of getting a sequel. I can remember it was back in the day when we didn't have the internet as much, but IMDb was there. So me and my mate kept going on IMDb and going, Dog Soldiers 2, trying to get any information we could. But, you know, it was always in production or in pre-production and we never could get any more information. And it's, I think that page is dead now because there's no continuation of it. But, I mean, Neil Marshall's gone on to do quite big things. I know he did a couple of episodes of Game of Thrones. Um Doomsday, I believe, was it? And obviously The Descent being the big one. But do you enjoy Dog Soldiers? I think we spoke about Dog Soldiers, haven't we, actually? I do. Look, I love Dog Soldiers. I remember going to Cinema Sphere back in 2002. Um, like I, said, I, I think it's become such a cool classic now. Yeah. It is a great film. I've got the... American Screen Factory version. I know Second Sight Films are releasing it this year from the 4K scan. Uh, doing a, trying to do a 4K scan, I think. And so I'm excited to, and I'll, I do revisit it like probably 
Once in a Blue Moon is a great film, and like I said, Sean Percher is great. And yeah. I've got a little story about Sean Percher. So a couple of years ago, I was in a bar in Sheffield. Actually, I think we have. And I was in a bar in Sheffield. There's quite a few of my friends in there. Just come back from Horicon in Sheffield, and um, we went to the after show party, and the probably about six or seven of us around the table. One of my friends, Tony, has just directed the film himself. Um, Sean Percy walks in just in his like tracky. Oh, how you doing, Sean? Yeah, cool. So we went outside and I asked him for a fag because I left my fags inside. So I went outside <laughs> for a fag with him. He's talking football. I had to cut some short because I don't follow football. So I was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and then we're, t- and then we're talking about like Kurt Russell because I love Kurt Russell and Sean Percy yeah. was obviously in Event Horizon and he was in a film called Soldier. Um, so, but then we got into Dog Soldiers. I'm basically saying I love Jim Dog Soldiers, and he, he's so such a nice dude, man. Like I've never, I've met quite a few people, but Sean Percher, he was he was on the beer, he was swigging beer with all of us, like sitting around <laughs> talking. I'm, I'm going, this is the fucking dude from Cadfile and fucking Dog Soldiers here, <laughs> but. Coming back to Dog Soldiers, Dog Soldiers is a great movie. I think Neil Marshall did something special. Um, obviously set him on a path to go and do Descent, which I still think is one of the best British horror movies in the last 20 years. Um, purely from the claustrophobic factor. He went yeah. on to do Doomsday and uh, Centurion, which was good, and obviously did big episodes of um, Game of Thrones and part of uh, Constantine. Um, so, but Dog Soldiers is a great, great movie. And if anyone's not seen it, come watch it. If you yeah. haven't, then you miss now. <laughs> let's have a let's have one of your picks then, Paul. So, I think originally we we're going to. Talk, so, I'm looking at our collection of the ones I've pulled out. So, I'm going to go with a film called Sleep Tight. Okay. I believe a lot of people need to watch this film. It's a, it's a powerful film. It's a great horror film. It's a great thriller. Um, Spanish film, come out in 2011. It's directed by the dude who did Wreck. Oh, brilliant. Um, uh, so basically this plot is, there's a uh, what's the concierge of a, Hotel in Spain, played by a guy called Luis Tozar. Luis Tozar has been in some really good films. He's in the one on Netflix, a moment called Retribution. He's in a film called Cell 211, which is a fucking awesome movie. A fucking great film. Um, it's kind of like when I watch Spanish films, I always look out for him. If he's in it, I know it's going to be a good film because he's just a fucking cool actor. Uh, only because I've discovered him through Sleep Tight. And I first watched this film, I think I watched this at... Oh, when did I watch this? Probably, probably about eight or nine years ago. So it's after a couple of years after it was released. And basically, he's a concierge. He's got infatuation with a woman that lives there. But at night time, when she goes to sleep, he sneaks into her apartment and does weird shit. It was all creepy stuff. It's a very creepy movie. Um, so I'm not going to try and sell it too hard because there's more to it. Um, it builds up to this amazing ending and you're like, fuck, that's fucking horrible. Because it does. It's one of those films that makes you... 
conscientious if you've locked your doors at night, you've made sure your windows are locked. Like, this film does not fuck around. This guy is such a nice guy on the outside, but in the inside, he's got a dark um, ulterior motive about him. And that film's still a great film I can go back to and go, fuck, man, it's directed so well. It's actually a really good film that has... (laughs) certain feel about it it's a, I like I like a good horror film or a thriller that blend in really well where you feel uncomfortable about watching I, I think Sleep yeah. Tight offers a lot I think it on IMDB it's like 7.6 or something it's it's a solid movie and and Spanish cinema is a really good if you want to broaden your horizon in films and horror or thriller go to Spanish cinema at the moment because there's a really good film on Netflix called The Invisible Guest. Uh, I don't, I think that made my top 10 when it came, when I watched it. I was like, that is one of the best fucking films I've seen because I didn't see the twist come in. I didn't, and, and that's where I think world cinema has a, more of a impact over British-speaking films or American-speaking films because you can't relate to the actors. You can't relate to what the camera's going to do. You can't judge what's going to happen. You've got to kind of sit back and watch it and you get to the end and go, oh, fuck, shit, that's that's pretty impressive because we can't relate to what's going on screen because we don't know those people. We don't know what's going on. So I'd give Sleep Talk for me is just a sensationally, it's just a tense film. It's brilliant it's dark and you get to that end of that film you're like fuck this is this is dark this is good and it's not an happy ending either and i like that brilliant i'll definitely have to check that out might have to borrow it off you is it did you say that's sort of available on netflix or is other film uh i bought that i think it was on netflix at one point i've had my yeah. i bought mine a few years ago so you might want to look but the guys in it lewis tozar he's a Look look for his films, Retributions on Netflix, about a dude in the car, and he's got a bomb strapped to him. Uh, he's, he's just a great actor. He's just brilliant. I love him. I think he's great. Yeah, definitely check that out. Um, another one I wanted to mention, because obviously we did two for our picks to uh, hype the podcast on Instagram, uh, was The Girl with All the Gifts, um, yes. a very different zombie movie. And instantly, one thing I want to say is that I love the fact that they call the zombies in this Hungries. You know, because there's so many words now we've got for zombies that Hungries feels fresh in itself. Um, obviously, based on a book, I've not read the book. I can't go and say, you know, it's better than the book or whatever. Um, I think I did instantly like it because it was shot in Birmingham and Stoke-on-Trent, which isn't far from us. You know, great actor, actors and actresses in it. Gemma Arterton's obviously the main actor lead in it, and then the girl in it, uh, whose name's Mel- Melanie in the film. Mm. I think her real name's Sienna or something. She, it was her first ever role, and she hits it on the nail on the head. She's, like, fantastic. Just um, a well-rounded young role. And I've always said, kids, if they act well, it sells the film 100% more. Um, this film, for me, it came out of nowhere. I think, our, I think we both discussed that we went to see it at kind of like an unlimited screen in it, Cineworld. Um, so it was just like um, an advanced screening. Um, and basically, just for people that don't know, it's about there's like a spore virus that infects people, uh, makes them obviously zombie-likes, but 
the ending is really good. If you've not seen it, I don't want to ruin it too much, but basically it's it's kind of sombre and daunting, but also quite bright for the future at the same time. It's quite mm. awkward to like say, but um, it finishes brilliant. It's also at BT Tower at the end of the film, which uh, I work for Open Reach, so it's it's got a link to work as well, which is quite nice in there. <laughs> um, but just very much like a completely different zombie film because the genre of zombie in itself is quite tired these days so just that nice little different for it you know even the way it's done it's filmed a bit different a bit more like I wouldn't say muted yeah a bit muted colours a bit more like your yellow pale colours but also like then it brightens up a bit at the end when you know like I said it comes like there's a bit of a bright ending but also daunting so but check it out if you've not seen it I don't want to give too much away of it because the ending's it's better left to not be, like you said, your last one to not be ruined. So, but definitely a little hidden gem. I don't think it got a lot of love. I know it got a bit because of the book, but definitely not as much as it deserved for that genre of zombies in specific. Yeah, it's a very grounded film. And yeah. I, I honestly believe I'm not one for, zombie films. As a rule, I'm not a huge fan of. It's got to be something special. I'll go back to the original Romero, Dawn of the Dead. I absolutely love that film. I think mm. it has a, a social commentary over that. But I always think the British have always done it, or I think the British have always done better zombie films. Like The Girl with the Gold Gifts, 28 Days Later, even Shaun of the Dead, even out of riffs off from the George Romero classics, but it's made it his own. We don't. We take that kind of genre a bit more serious. We turn into a little bit. We make that horror, where you look at all the other zombie films that come out. It's fucking far too many of them for my liking. And if I see like so, oh, another zombie movie, it's like oh, fuck. I've been watching the movie. Um, uh, but I think when we do it, we do it with integrity, and we do it. Where well, it's grounded, grounded to reality. It's like if this shit happens, this is going. This is probably what's going to happen. We, we're mm-hmm. we're grounded to that reality, of the zombie genre. I mean, you look at it like you say it's it's more the Americans. And honestly, so it's, it's more action, isn't it? It's more action than a, a yeah, horror it's, genre. It's, it's more gung ho. It's more. Yeah. I mean, the, the Walking Dead is probably their most grounded. Um, zombie genre kind of thing and in a sense it is grounded because it's more about I mean because I'm a big fan of the Walking Dead comic books don't get me wrong I understand people's annoyances at the last couple of series and I do think the comics are like 100% better but I do still enjoy the TV show I'm still hanging on by Fred because we've got one last (laughs) one last season to go but I do think that is more grounded usually than their films because it is more about human relationships in a zombie apocalypse and the zombies are kind of secondary if you such maybe not going but, but that's how the you know the, the whole comic is based on but um do you want to give us another one of your picks paul uh certainly so i've i was going to say summer of 1984 i think that's one i've sent to you um mm-hmm. now i'm absolutely big fan of the directors of that there's three of them um they did a film called turbo kid I don't know if anyone's seen that or if I've, you've seen, I've seen that. 
and Turbo Kid's just a fun throwback to the eighties. It's just a great apocalyptic movie. It's about a dude on the BMX looks all this cool little chick who's a cyborg and yeah, and they go and fight off the badlands of the people. And I, I, I love that. I love that. It felt like if it's something I went back in, if I was back in the day and I was going to video shop and I saw a film called Turbo Kid, I'll be fucking renting that film over <laughs> and over again. So that's the kind of film I would want to watch. And they, they did it. They did it with style, and it weren't, and it weren't trying to be something different it was just like we're making a film because this is what we love and you could feel that watching that so they did it again with a film called summer of 84 um the only way i can describe summer of 84 is a cross between the burbs rear window and kind of monster squad goonies style style movie it's a childhood it's a child movie it's certainly another film i'd rent out as a kid i've think I'd love to watch that over and over and over and over again. But what's so different about this is they it, it's just a perfect homage to the films I loved as a kid and it's got that that boyhood kind of camaraderie, you got your friends and you're trying to like, oh, is he a killer? Is he a murderer? What's going on? And you're not this little adventure with them. You're following them and obviously it gets darker and darker and you think, what the fuck's going on here? This is great. And I don't want to give too much away because it's still a film that people are still discovering because it's on now on Shudder, I think. And I want people to watch it because it so good there's a lot of people in my circles that we talk about it a lot and we're like the ending makes that film because i could still see even as a viewer i'll still watch that film and you get to the end go oh my god (laughs) you like get to the end go fuck me you that literally like last five minutes have just changed the dynamic of that film you and that film's only 80 minutes long but you've invested in going on this adventure with kids wondering if their next door neighbour's a killer who's a cop. And you're like, and you get to the end, you're like, oh, shit. And it works. Every every aspect of that film is perfect. Um, for me, perfect. I think if you're going to make a low-budget film and you're going to go out for a certain aesthetic and sit in a certain era, they did it. They did yeah. it. Yeah. And there's another film that come out at the same time. I don't know if it's on Netflix. I've had to buy it. It's called Super Dark Times. Exactly kind of same premise, minus it's just about four kids. It's set in the 90s, and that and that goes down a real dark, deep path. So I'll kind of blend those two films together because I watched them about the same time, and I love both of them because I thought the directors and the writers knew what they were doing, and they're not they're not out to make a big budget move. They're out to find a specific audience. And yeah. so I appreciate when those kind of people go out there and make these films and I have the impact as a viewer feeling like, shit, this is the kind of film I loved as a kid. And I'm getting it again as an adult. So it has this very deep nostalgia effect. So if anyone wants to watch it, uh, Summer of 84, it is on shudder at the moment so get your seven day free trial like i'm gonna do because yeah, you can't buy it i don't think you can even get it in the uk i have to get mine from germany um so yeah, it's, i don't think it's widely available to buy 
So it's worth signing up, especially even if you can get the free seven-day trial. I, yeah. um, go ahead. I've, yeah. I've had my seven-day trial twice over. So, but um, there is some good, the thing is, there is some good films on Shudder. I've not been on there for a long time, but I know the raids on there. There's a few yeah. good um, Korean films that have been added. Um, definitely some of 84s on there. So it seems like Shudder's getting some good, well, good films. I'm getting getting some good. Yeah, I think it's getting a lot more popular now, and it's 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 heavily advertised compared to where it was before. It looks like it's getting a bit more funding. It's definitely a great thing for the horror genre to have that. Um, definitely, if you're into horror, definitely get. Oh, unfortunately, when I when I had it, I was flicking through, and I was like, I've got that. I've already got that. I've got that. I've got that. So it kind of felt kind of pointless to me. Yeah, but now I've seen more content coming. I'm going actually this. I've seen some of the original Shudder material. Um, I think Host was a good film. I thought it did really well for what he did in 50 minutes or how long ever it was. Mm. So I was like, that was pretty decent. And I hope Shudder does keep going because I think that's kind of the way it's going. That will keep the market alive for horror fans and horror fans going forward. Absolutely. So, um, when I was doing it, obviously I did Dog Soldiers with Werewolves, I did the Girl Girls, that is like zombies. So I wanted to do some of the, you know, mix of genres in the sense that I was trying to do each one a bit different. So the next one I chose, and I understand this film some people don't like or don't get, um, but it's a horror comedy genre, uh, okay. which is Sliver, from 2006, Love it. Uh, James Gunn, who I just adore James Gunn. Um, you know, and I, I would say, you know, it's not seen as much, but um, maybe people don't understand it. Uh, it's kind of that black comedy mixed with horror, but um, very much, you know, again, little CGI looks like they've tried to do a lot of it with um, real stuff. It's obviously got a great cast with Nathan Fillion, who's, uh, you know, a big, Big, big star for people in the geekier communities like myself, you know, for his roles um, on Serenity, obviously Serenity, Firefly, um, Elizabeth Banks, who's always bankable. That was not a, that was a terrible pun. Yeah, it was. was. <laughs> it didn't even mean to come out. And obviously Michael Rooker, who works with James Gunn several times, just, it feels like a breeze when you watch it. it it's not a very long film, easy to watch, just silly, fun, also dark and it's sometimes really bloody disgusting like some of the visuals in it are horrible um just a quaint little town these this space spores like little animals come like the the sliver <laughs> and uh, they infect people and obviously you know it's just if you haven't seen it it's it's just brilliant it, it's typical old school james gunn as well the films he was making around that time before he obviously hit it big with Guardians of the Galaxy. So if you want to see something more where he's let off the leash and, you know, let him be him, it's really good to check out, which I'm hoping he kind of transpires to the Suicide Squad that he seems to be give that a bit more of a free reign. So, but obviously you've said you love it. So you, what's your opinion on it? Oh, no, I do. Um, I'm a big fan. I've been a big fan of this film for years, probably since I was a kid, because my dad loved it. It was a film called Nights of the Creeps. And I think if you... Yeah. And that's done by Fred Decker. Um, 
uh, if you're not familiar with Fred Decker, he did Monster Squad and he wrote him and Shane Black wrote a lot of films together. And yeah. The Night of Creeps is very much Sliver of its day. So when I watched Sliver back in 2006, because I remember going to cinema see it, and I like James Gunn anyway, because James Gunn worked a lot on the trauma films. Um, mm. And I grew up with like the Toxic Avenger and uh, Classic Nuka Mai and to- uh, Chopper Chicks and Zombie Town. And James Gunn was always he was a writer on them, always working with uh, Lloyd Kaufman. So I, when he came up with Sliver, I, I remember going to cinema because I, I was like, "This looks fucking awesome! This looks like the eighties kind of B movie I want in my life yeah, at the time." Massively, massively and it is, movie. and it is a proper good B movie, and it. But uh, like even the references to Predator when they open the gun locker and it's got the Predator theme tune, it's just everything. Everything about it, it's got that disgusting practical effects because it does look. It was like when you said it, it's, <laughs> it's not nice looking practical effects. It's quite grossed out. But it's James Gunn and that's James Gunn's style. But James Gunn's yeah. a very witty writer and, and he knows what he's doing. And I'm, See, I bet you must remember the film he did called Super, which was a few years after, which was, yeah, yeah. Which was a dark fucking movie. Um, yeah. And then he went which on is to do, Sorry. If we were doing Hidden Gems of Superheroes, I probably would have said Super because not enough people have seen that. And obviously, Rain Wilson is fantastic. And he's brilliant. He's, he's, that film yeah, and it's, it's a big movie as well, isn't it? And it, it unfortunately didn't make enough for him. You know, it, it didn't make him a bankable star as such. So. But, well, I think yeah, it proved James yeah. Gunn as as a as a writer. I think mm. he, I think James Gunn's got the beautiful gift of being a, a very gifted, clever writer of being able to. He's it, just I don't know. I don't know how to put it. He's just, what, it, ensemble, it, he's just very clever how he writes. His ensemble casting. I think he yeah. being a bit left field and. Is his way of seeing things are a bit left field. It's got that quirky humor that picks up with American audiences, but there's nuances that I think a lot of British audiences pick up on a lot because I think mm. our humor does differ a lot. Um, and I think James Gunn taps into that kind of surreal, out there humor. I think that comes back from the days of trauma, and trauma is obviously we're one of the most weird and wonderful independent studios in the world and um, and he comes from that background so i think he's got that really good kind of independent style he's had to work for it he's at he's had to claw yeah. at the floorboards and and he's worked his way up to disney and he's allowed to have his creative input on it, and it works. And I'm, I'm open, and I'm actually looking forward to Suicide Squad. I didn't think I'd say that, <laughs> but because his involvement and in it, it makes me excited because I think this fucking James Gunn, this guy knows what he's doing. Yeah, like like you go back to you before about his writing. I mean, if we look at something we didn't discuss, what we've been watching, but a film that obviously came out recently that I know we both have watched is Army of the Dead yeah. by Zack Snyder, um, which is very a Zack Snyder film. But obviously Zack Snyder also did Dawn of the Dead, but James Gunn wrote Dawn mm-hmm. of the Dead or helped write Dawn of the Dead, which is a, for me is a really good remake. Um, you know, does enough different. And I think he keeps Zack Snyder in under wraps and, you know, keeps him tighter, which maybe on Army of the Dead you look at is he's probably let 
a little bit too loose, you know, when he's given himself to do everything the way he wants to do it. Yeah, I, 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 I actually really agree with you there because I think it does have that. Yeah, James Gunn did. He wrote. He wrote a really good bloody remake of Dawn of the Dead, and I think that's mm. where his uh, shot come from. Because I think he went on to do Scooby Doo the sequel as well after that. James <laughs> Gunn, but um, hey, look, it pays the bills. Um, <laughs> but someone's going to do it. But I thought oh, I actually really dig Dawn of the Dead remake. I think it's a great film. Um, and even though I watched Dawn of the Dead. I, um, you may disagree, but I'd never once felt like it was a Zack Snyder film. I just felt right. like it's complete. I was just like, felt like a Michael Bay production. I was like, this is fucking too bombastic and stupid. Because I always felt like Zack Snyder was like the bigger brother of him and Michael Bay, who in always thought Zack Snyder had a bit more brains about him, but fuck me, this Army of the Dead was so brain dead, literally. I was just like, I actually did enjoy it, but at the same time, I was like, oh, fuck, this is just, we have spent two hours and 20 minutes of my life. Just yeah, it was, it, was, it was too long. It was like, it was oh my really God, long. I was like, dude, come on. Yeah. I was like, it, it never once felt like, cause, like Zach Snyder always has like, some kind of decent flair about him, even though I'm not a big fan of his DC universe, though like, a lot like Man of Steel for and enjoyed what he did with that. And I, I'm one of the only few people in the world that were old as under but actually really like Sucker Punch. Um, 300 was good. Oh, fuck knows what else he's done. He's done Dawn of the Dead. But I didn't feel like the Army of Dead just felt like, I don't know, it just felt so glossy and big and clumsy. But it kind it's of works. Weird. He kind of like blagged his way through making the film, and he got to the end and go, "Yeah, you you did all right there, Zach." You, you that was that was great for it. That was the problem with it because it was you can't say it wasn't watchable because in every sense of the word, it's watchable. Like you can stick it yeah. on. Even though I said it's long, it's an easy watch. Yeah, like so that's the problem. <laughs> but it is because I sat there going, "God, this film." But I'm going, "Fuck me!" But you, I think it's because I'm picking up on references. I'm going. Yeah, I go give you a bit. I'm going. This is a fucking clumsy film, but you, I have to applaud him for doing it because he's just. It feels like it feels like a slog. He just ran fucking twelve miles, and you get to, you get to the last mile, and you're like, oh, I made yeah. it, and you go, yeah, I've just made it with you. We've just watched it, but yeah. hey, look, give it to Zack Snyder. He went through a tough time losing his daughter, and I think he wants yeah, the movie to come back. And the emphasis was always on the daughter in that film, so I can see where his writing and his directing was going. So I, pr- I actually fundamentally appreciate what he was trying to do in that sense. But yeah. So um, obviously, because we went a bit off topic there, you got another pick for this throwback thirty round, another horror hidden gem in the horror genre. Oh, I've got a few. I'm I'm going to go for a film called The Loved Ones. Okay. It's an Australian film. Come back out 2009, um, and I've seen this quite a few times. I, it's, it, I just, I, I really like it. I watched it with a couple of people. I watched it with my ex. First time we both loved it. That's the first time I watched it. It's probably about, probably about eight years ago when we first watched it. The film is over ten years old now. When we first watched it, we loved it, and I rewatched it last year with another friend, and we were like. And he loved it. He was like, "Fucking hell, I've never seen, never, never seen this before. I've never heard of it before." I was like, 
it's just one of those. It's an Australian film. Basically, there's a dude who is a bit like an emo kind of guy. If I could like to say, he's got long hair, he's got Metallica tops on, he's a bit grungy, and he, he was in an accident which killed his dad. So he's got that guilt and he's got to carry that throughout. And there's this girl he's seeing who's really hot. She's this hot American, Australian chick. But there's another girl who's got an infatuation with him. And she really, really likes him. So, prom's coming up. And this dude, he takes this nice Australian bird. He's going. He's getting ready to take this Australian bird out. But he never makes it. Next thing you know, he's tied up to a chair in this psycho girl's house. Not just the psycho girl there, but her dad's there as well. And he's tied to a chair and he's asked to endure this torturous... You're sat there as an audience for a good hour him tied to a chair being tortured by this girl that's infatuated by him and her dad involves drills, nails, him trying to escape, bleach, you name it. It's a very, very, it's not a tough watch, it's a fun watch, because it's it's not a fun film, but it's, it's not brutal enough, but it, it's a real good psycho drama of, of a girl that loves a boy. And obviously he doesn't love her because he's like, what the fuck am I doing here? He's trying to escape. He can't escape because they, they've got him tied in the middle of nowhere in their house. And he can't escape. And you see all this weird stuff happening between her and the dad. She's dressing up. Her dad's feeding trying to feed him dinner the mom comes out and she's uh, like a lobotomy and so she, she's dribbling everywhere it's like that texas chainsaw massacre scene yeah. but in the house and this dude is just sat there like fucking in pain trying to get out how is he going to get out so you sat with this guy for ages going what the hell's going on but the loved ones is great he turns out in the end and it's a very, it's very hard to explain. It's just, it's just a simple movie. A guy in pain, anyway, in general in life, who's trying to end his life. He gets taken in by a girl that's infatuated, kidnaps him, and he's being tortured. And now he's basically a fight or flight kind of dude. You're going to either fight to save your own life, or you give up. And yeah. and that's about what it is. It's about him trying to like live, trying to get out. And it's a it's a great great film. I, I don't really want to give it too much. Away. I'm trying to word it in a way where people do watch it because you can't find it in any way in those streaming services. I think you can buy it on Blu-ray for for a good under a tenner. It's well worth watching. Yeah. Um, but you're on a journey and it's not a nice journey for this guy and it's quite bloody, it's quite graphic and it's Australian. There's there's all something different, like little kind of little plots that go along, obviously with, with him losing his dad and his, he feels accountable for his dad's loss. He's trying to survive against this daughter and dad relationship and 
this girl he's seeing, she's trying to find out where he is, and and his mom's trying to help. It, it, it's just a really good, well-rounded Australian film, and I'd I'd highly recommend that. It's it's been in one of my top twenty horror movies since I watched it. I was just it's not even horror; it's more like a psychological thriller. Um, yeah. But at the same time, no one wants to be in a position where you're being tied down by an ex or some bizarre fucking girl and her dad with your yeah. feet nailed to the floor. So. Um, I would recommend the loved ones. I'll probably actually post about it tomorrow. I think I'll put it on my Instagram tomorrow because I'm going to watch it. Um, it's due a rewatch. And I think the dude who did it did a film recently or a couple of years ago called The Devil's Candy. That wasn't too bad either. You've definitely given me a few films to watch tonight, I'll tell you that. Come on, have a bit. Watch the loved ones. That's what we'll do. So it's, it sounds like you're going to come round and watch a nice romantic film, and then it's not going to be at all, is it? <laughs> I can bring the notebook round if you want. <laughs> Funny enough, I've got a hundred. I've got like a scratch movie poster in the notebooks on there, and I said about watching it with my with my missus, and she said no. So maybe I'll have to watch it with you instead, mate. You do it because our fucking notebook is in my collection. I absolutely adore that <laughs> film. It's a fucking sad movie, man. It's a great film. And one of one of my mates, uh, the guy I had on my last podcast, Beige, that you know as well, he. He adores the notebook, bless him. So it is a great film. I, uh, yeah, even though it falls into that romantic category, I think it's just a great fucking human drama. I think. It's, mm. it's a beautiful story. Thank you. Well, anyone, anyone thinks, but I think it's just a great film. It's a well, sad film. It's beautiful. You're allowed to enjoy films like that. I've got, I've got nothing against you for doing it. We'll go, we'll go for one more each then, because uh, going on a bit. because oh, I wanted to get in a TV show as well, because this was. Um, the slasher genre. You'll probably hate this because I know you're not a massive horror TV show fan. After we had a discussion, but <laughs> um, I don't know if, how well it was received because I only we me and my sister caught it on TV and watched it. I can't remember what year it came out. Um, and then about ten years, no, wouldn't have been ten years. Might have been ten years. She randomly gave me it on DVD from birthday. And I was like, oh god, and it's called Harper's Island. Oh, I don't yes. know. <laughs> yes, so I don't know. there you go. So, um, I don't know how well it was received at the time. Obviously, it's American, and I will say maybe it's a couple of episodes too long. Um, as all American shows, I do find maybe go on too long. But proper slasher, just fun. Um, Kate Cassidy obviously stars in it. Who Kate went on to be a bit of a screen queen with starring in this Christmas remake in the Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, Nightmare for El- Nightmare of Elm Street remake, should I say? Um, I just love the fact that I know that none of the cast knew when they were getting killed off until they got the script. I think there was like one actor who was only signed up for one episode. That was the only one that knew, and the guy who was the killer in the show uh, didn't even actually find out till episode eight um, that he was the killer. So I thought that was a nice little twist. Um, just um, just a brilliant little show that I think. Uh, was like I said, really well done, just fun, fresh as well. Because we obviously we had a lot of slashes in the nineties, uh, early noughties, like film wise, but not as TV. I know we got the Scream TV show and stuff afterwards, but just um, I don't know how many people watched it. If you do, big shout out to you for enjoying it. I know my sister's a massive fan, so. But obviously, you jumped for joy there, Paul. So I take it you are a fan. Yeah, I remember watching it the first time around, and. Um... I think it's around the time I was massively into like watching Supernatural. Uh, 
Yeah, I remember watching Harper's Island when it first came out. I think it was a very week, it was a week-to-week thing. I'm pretty sure it's 10 episodes. Uh, it introduced me to a band called Civil Twilight, and they did a really good fucking track on that. Not only that, but there's another dude on there I want to give a shout-out to. is Chris Galfia. Now, sometimes we, uh, we sometimes have a bit of banter about random shit and football. Um, and he was in that, and he was cool in that. He's just a cool dude. So there's that, but also I think Harper's Island is like a series that needs to be put onto a platform like Netflix or Amazon Prime so more people can pick up on Massively, it. Yeah. Because yeah. it, it, I think it deserves that. And it had a good, it was a good mystery actually. I think it's a really as I've only watched it once when it first came out. I remember it just being a really good mystery series, and you get to the end and you're like, oh shit, okay. And it worked really well. Um, so with you, Steve, I totally agree. I think that, that's a really good shout. You've mentioned Harper's Island because I don't think many people have seen it. No. And I think it needs to be seen more and it'd be great if a, a great uh, streaming platform would pick that up so more people could watch it. I see. I'm glad I got your seal of approval on one of them at least. I have to, to try and get something in there. <laughs> I just remember the ending where they were all like, there's a bridge scene and that song kicks in with um, Civil Twilight, Letters from the Sky. And I absolutely love that record. I play it a lot now as well. I think it's a great song. There you go. Bringing back memories as well. Love it. Oh, God. I wish I was uh, Before we go on to Love, Hate, Do Not Rate then, let's uh, have one more pick off of you, Paul. So I'm going to go for... I've got between two now, so... I was going to go for The Invitation, but I think that's available on Netflix. So people go watch The Invitation because it's a great film. Um, I'm going to go for a film called Baskin. Uh, I know it's recently just been added to Amazon Prime, which is annoying because I spent too much money in my box set years ago. Um, so Baskin's a Turkish horror film. It's very in the vein of... Hellraiser 2, H.P. Lovecraft-style films with into time travel in there. Um, it's about four, I think it's four or five coppers. And the first 15 minutes is basically them sitting around talking, you know, what, what am I watching? What am I watching these dudes talk about shit I don't care about? Then, yeah. then it follows them out to the van, they sod off. They almost hit this dude. They kind of steer off into like this ditch. Next thing you know, they're waking up. They're trying to find where they are. You end up in like some kind of weird place, and it's <coughs> and it's hard to articulate kind of where they are because it's they don't know what's happening. It's a lot of you feel like you're in a scene from Texas Chainsaw Massacre you're in like this weird HP Lovecraft style like just uh, vision visionary like like it's demonology it's just weird it's this kind of visceral feeling it's dark and you're like you've just come from this kind of humorous scene between five gentlemen and next thing you know you're you're thrown into complete darkness and you don't know where you are as an audience and you're trying to follow them and then it gets even weirder and dirtier and darker and and you get to the end and 
I ain't going to give anything away, but it does turn into this, like, fucking, it's like how. It is, you're in how. And you're like, how the fuck have we just got here from there to there to there to there? But you're in this dark how. And you don't know where you are, what's going on. you got weird little people, and you got pigs and goats, and you got blood everywhere, you got people hanging up. And you're like, <laughs> but then you think it's the end, but it's not the end because you've got another end that comes and then you, and then you got another end and you're like, is this going to end? But when it ends, you're like, oh shit, that was something different. Because I yeah. got recommended this to me by, uh, I can't remember what his name, his name's, um, it was on, it's on social media anyways, I think, um, Ramrod, his original name was on, Instagram, cool guy. He, he, he finds some wicked films, some great foreign cinema, and and I remember seeing him post about it. it must have been about 2017, 2016, 2017. And he's like, "I'll just watch this batshit crazy film." I'm like, oh, "Okay." And I remember, actually, this is our battles. I legally streamed it. I found a, a legal stream of it because so I couldn't find it anywhere to buy at the time. Yeah. And I remember just sitting there late one night. It's me and my ex. We were like, oh, some dude's told me about this film, we need to watch this, okay. And we were watching it, and I was like, what have we just watched? I was like, not you know, because it was brilliant, because I liked the idea of it, and by when you watched it to the very end, you're like, fucking that was clever. But then it leaves you with more questions of what, what's just happened. You've just literally gone through a descent of how. You've gone from dudes crashing to dudes being in such a situation where it is you're in a visually dark looking gloomy hell and then and then it all comes back and you're like what the f-? It, 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 it's just such a bit of a mind fuck I don't know if it's the time I was just I had too much wine or what but I, I watched <laughs> it about a year ago and I sat watched it by myself and I was like this film's badass, man. I was like, then I might, I might even watch it after this. We've done this because it's been such a while. But I love how dark it is, and it's Turkish as well. I've never watched, I've never really come across many Turkish films, and and this mm. was like a something different. It's something fresh, and it's on. And like I said, it's on Amazon Prime. Like, I, obviously, I've not articulated it myself so well, not sold it too well, but. It's hard to describe that kind of film. Um, yeah. I can describe many films without giving it away, but this is just like, if you want a film where it starts off like relatively nice, but you then you just, you're on like a one-way train into darkness and you're not coming out for the next 50 minutes. You're staying there and then you come out the other end, you're like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, fair play. And What's special that? effects and the uh, uh, the prosthetics and all that are brilliant. And it's not. I like to be surprised by films. I like to, I like to come across films that I don't have never really heard of, or someone's put me on someone and went, "You may like this," and I go, "Okay, cool." Yeah, and, and I like well, to come out and go, "Fucking, do you know what? I enjoyed that." Uh, and it's very rare that shit happens. Yeah, fair play. What what was it called again? Baskin. Baskin. B B A B A S K I N. 
Yeah. Not like a bat, just drop the G from a basking shot, yeah. Yeah, even on the back here, he's, I'm looking on the back of it, it's like Darry Argento and Clive Barker, which I totally agree, and it's, um, it's so shocking and so astoundingly well made that it puts the exclamation stamp next to name of the future's a horror. So, whoever the director is. And, yeah, um, is that good art to import my copy? I wanted it. And now it's available on Amazon Prime, so there's no excuses for anyone who's not got it and wants a good horror film for the night. Just yeah, watch yeah. that. It is a bit grossed out. It's, it goes against what I stand for in terms of horror, but sometimes a good visual horror film has got a good story. It pays off. Yeah, fair play. Some great recommendations there from us both, I would say. Definitely, I think we did well there. Yeah, spot on. But as always on uh, the Culture Couch with fellow and friends, we like to finish with a little game I call Love, Hate, Do Not Rate. Uh, basically, the game is I ask my co-host if they love, hate or do not rate something. Very much in the vein of that we say we love or we hate Marmite, whereas I don't, I just don't rate it. So that's how I came up with the game. Pretty simple, pretty easy. Does that all sound good, Paul? Sounds good to me, man. So we always kick off, if we've got a new co-host, with the two questions of love, hate, do not rate. So straight in there with Marmite. Love it. You love it? Yeah, I've been, I, have, I have the rice crackers as well. <laughs> I've them with peanut butter. Lovely. Oh, Marmite and peanut. I don't know how about I feel about that. Though. It's on the Marmite. They're on Marmite rice crackers, though. Absolute sensational. Yeah. Trust me. I never thought I'd like peanut butter and jam, but it works. It does work. So maybe, it maybe. I mean, like, do you know what I mean? I can enjoy Marmite sometimes. I'm just happy to have someone on that's had Marmite because I've had a couple of co-hosts that have never even tasted it, which is which is mad when you're British that you haven't tasted Marmite. Beautiful stuff. I think uh, one of the main reasons I kind of fell out of love with it was I really wanted to go to school when I was a kid. Like, uh, I couldn't be off school and I just ate tons of Marmite first thing in the morning. It made me sick. Um, I just grabbed some out of the cupboard and thought, that's that's going to make me gag if I eat too much of that. So that's what I did. But, you know, when like it's also a kind of weird thing to say, but I used to go on a lot of training courses. And, you know, when you get the little pots of Marmite in, like, a heart shape uh, yeah. for your toe. I used to always, I always used to have it then because I was like, oh, that's, that's lovely. I'll have that on my toast. So, but, um, yeah, so that's why uh, that's where I'm love it. But I'm glad someone's had it. But, and the second one I always ask people is pineapple on pizza. Love it. Love it? Yeah, too right. It don't go for me, but okay. Well, I'm vegetarian, <laughs> so having a bit of fruit on it does not bother me, man. Ah, fair enough, fair enough. I've learned something new about you today as well. There we go. Yeah, so you're, you're obviously a bit limited what you can have on top, so pineapple probably is a massive win for you then. Yeah, it's, it wouldn't be my go-to, but if, if, if it's on now, I'm not going to turn down pizza or food or a bit of fruit on top, so I'm yeah. easy come, easy go, man. Fair play, fair play. I'm going to ask you this one now because we briefly discussed it and I want you to annoy a lot of people like I do with it. Friends, the TV show. Fucking hate it. <laughs> Obviously in the news a lot because the uh, reunion show was on. Uh, yeah. 
but you and me are very much in the vein, same vein um, that I can't stand it either. I really can't. Look, Never got I, it. I appreciate people that like, and I appreciate that it's still weirdly still going on, and you can buy shit in B and M to do with friends. So obviously, it's doing something right, but. Um, no, I'm not. I'm not a fan of that stupid can laughter. I'm not a fan of that stupid forced humour and that. Uh, I, I, it's oh, it's just so studio based, and you can tell, and it's just it feels awkward, and you, and you kind of feel sorry for it. <laughs> just, I, I don't know. It just it, it just looks awkward. <laughs> just it, it never appealed to me. I was there for the first time around. I'm still here listen to people talk about friends and like, hey look, if you get it and you like it, that's up to you, man. But that shit's not my not my jam anyway. <laughs> it was funny because I got um I got tagged in Facebook the other day about the fact that uh one um oh you're not edgy if you you hate something that's universally beloved and I'm like, no no, you know, I'm very much I'm on the bandwagon of I love Marvel and stuff like that. But friends I just, uh, just yeah, it's not my cup of tea. It's not my kind of comedy. I can I can stand Chandler, but that's about it. I just no, just none of the rest of it appeals to me. I couldn't give a fuck about if Ross and Rachel are on a break and all that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's like I hate that <laughs> each episode, that one where Ross. Fucks <coughs> oh, off. Who gives a shit, man? I want to see where Ross got off his rocker and got pissed up and when he got pineapple on his pizza and it marmite crackers with peanut butter. That's the episode <laughs> I want to watch. And he finished watching Baskin. That shit, I want to watch. I don't want to watch where Ross jacked off over Rachel's knickers. Who was a shit? <laughs> also, I'm just going to throw that out there. And people, fair enough if you love it and what have you, and you're probably going to hate me for saying this, but the, whole, the, the one of the news things I saw that came out of that reunion that was Jennifer Aniston and uh, David Schwimmer, or whatever his name is, really had feelings for each other. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think that's bullshit. I think that is that's the way to get people to watch that reunion. Of so it is. It's, it's what sells it. Yeah. But hey ho. Um, I was going to ask you another one, so I've quickly changed this because you kind of gave me your opinion on it earlier, which was football. So I'm going to go with rugby instead. <laughs> Don't watch rugby, man. I'm a boxing fan. Oh, there you go. So anything, is it lovely? Anything balls, I'm not interested unless it's a unless it's boxing. But that has no balls, so but oh, I'll tell you what then, I'll add I'll add another one in, right? Because you've just said you like boxing. What about UFC? Yeah, I've I've, I've watched a few of them, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Cool. Would you say you love it, hate it, or do not rate it though? Uh don't hate it. I don't really love it, so I'll say I don't rate it. It's here or there for me. I've, I've never got up early in the morning to watch it. So I've watched oh, no, the highlights. Yeah, I've never watched one live. Me and, me and my friends used to meet up and we'd watch it on like the Sunday after it had been on the Saturday morning. Uh, uh, well, Sunday morning here for us. So we'd watch it like, you know, 10 o'clock or whatever. And when I used to live with my lads' mates, uh, one of them was a big fan and we used to watch it like we used you know, watch the whole Ultimate Fighter and stuff and that. But just a quick shout out to a TV show on the boxing. Um, when I was a kid, I really loved The Contender, especially like the first series that Sly Stallone did. Shit, yeah, God, that's going back, man. <laughs> no, man. Is, is it Sugar Ray Leonard? 
who was one of the coaches on it as well. Honestly, I think you might be right because oh, that's going back ages. That's literally just hit me in the fucking nostalgias then. Yeah, because I think I think Sly did like two series and that was it, and then it started getting a bit iffy, and they ended up cancelling it or whatever. I think it went on for quite a few series, but back when Sly like hosted it and. Yeah, Sugar Ray Leonard, and I think there was another boxer. I can't remember who like was the coaches. It was the first series was really done well as well because one of the boxers on it came back, like he got back in it because there was an injury or something, and it was kind of a rocky story in it. Do you know what I mean? So, but yeah, brilliant, brilliant little show. I'm gonna Google that after after this. I've brought up a couple of things for you. TV, I've, I've kind of hit it well tonight on the TV show front, I believe. I think you have. Harper's Islands. Um, yeah, good shout on that one, man. I'll tell you what, if you need Harper's Island, I've got it on DVD, so I, I can lend you it if you can't find it anywhere to watch. Actually, yeah, if I could, because I could watch it next week. There you go. Oh, actually, oh, I might have took it my mum's lodge. I'll have to double check, because I took it up there, because I thought it would be somewhat easy to watch when I go up. So, but I can always get my mum to pick it up because she's having a little one this nah, week. It's, so. cool. it's cool when you get it back, man. I'll get it back, man. So, but yeah, that's the that's all the questions I have to look, hate, do not rate. So, have you enjoyed yourself, Paul? I absolutely enjoyed it, man. I'm looking forward to hooking up and, and on a couple of beers and digest some more stuff. Right. We're definitely going to have to check out one of your films together as well. That way, we'll have to borrow it. It'll give me a good reason to come up and beer. So. I feel, like I, I feel like I could talk hours about films. I know. This is going to be the longest episode so far, so that's why I was kind of getting a bit conscious on time, you see. I knew, we, I knew you probably had... I had a couple more hidden horror gems, and I didn't want to push you out too much. I knew you probably had a lot more. We're, probably, we're going on like a Joe Rogan podcast now. We're going for about five hours. <laughs> what we'll do is I'll have to get you on again, and we'll have to do the same kind of thing of... Hidden hero or hidden gems of horror or something else, if you like. Yeah, cool, man. I've, well, I've got plenty of movies, and then we've got John Carpenter's. You can talk about Friday the Thirteenth, how wank they are, but I love them. <laughs> but yeah, but thank you very much for coming on, Paul. Again, his Instagram name is Horror Warrior eighty five. So do check that out; cause it's brilliant. And always, if you couldn't mind giving us a follow on the underscore culture underscore couch on Instagram, and we do always always thank you very much for listening. Appreciate it. And thank you very much for joining me, Paul. I really appreciate having me on. And I appreciate me trying to articulate movies, which I can't because without giving the endings. So it's great to be spontaneous and try and sell a film, which I probably won't be able to. But yeah, it's all good. You did a good job and made me want to watch some. So don't worry about it. I'm going to watch Baskin anyway tonight. That's my film. There you go, mate. Enjoy and take care. You too, my friend. See you later, mate. Bye. Take care.